Well, good day, everyone. I'm Sam, and this is The Extras, and today I've got some special guests. No Mike Everett, but I've got with me Gary Koo. Hello, everybody. And Pip Witheridge. Good day, everyone. It's a trio today, so uh, good to be here. Pip's going to be asking the questions. Gary and I are going to be working our way through trying to answer them for you, doing the best of our ability. But thank you for these questions. There's some good ones here. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so um, this, this week at church we looked at um, Colossians 1, 15 to 23. Gary, do you want to give us a bit, bit of a summary of what it was all about? Oh, what I spoke about was basically two things. Who is Jesus and what has he done for us? That's, that's basically it. I kind of started the whole idea that uh, the world's view of Jesus is a little bit deficient, especially that of Siri. I think uh, Sam went in a similar direction. We talked about Siri at church. Yeah, it was good fun. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. Well, but, yeah, but yeah. bigger than that, yeah, we were looking at Jesus more than, more than Siri and, and how amazing and incredible he is in who he is and what he's done. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely massive picture of Jesus we get here in these verses. Yeah, yeah. cool, cool. Uh, well, we've had a few questions that have come out of the, the talks over the weekend. Um, so let's dive in. First question... Um, do you have any advice on how we should pray for God's guidance in making decisions? And the examples given here are things like jobs, ministry, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think that one's coming out of the previous week um, passage. I think that's a, that's a hangover question from, from the week before, which was talking there's a bit about um, kind of God's will and um, yeah, kind of growing in the knowledge of God and, and knowing God's will with, with having spiritual wisdom and understanding back from um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, that, that's a, and I think both of us, Gary, we talked about um, God's will not so much being concerned with kind of who I marry or what job do I do, but the big things of, of, the, of God's plan for the world. That's right. I mean, people can look at God's will in terms of guidance, you know, what should I be doing in my life? People can look at God's will in terms of morality, you know, what's right, what's wrong. But I think the picture of God's will in Colossians has a bit more nuance than that. It has more to do with... Uh, our relationship with God and how that flows out of our understanding what God is doing in the world, what he's on about, the big picture of mm. uh, history and salvation history that all leads to Jesus. Mm. Yeah, okay. So so in that context then, how do we um, make decisions like what job do I take and you know, who do I marry or, or, or that kind of thing? Uh, what ministry should I get involved in? Is there, a, is there a, a, does God have a will for my life? Yes. Uh, that you'd be holy. I mean, you said in Thessalonians. One Thessalonians four. That's yeah. right. Uh, but I think, I think part of the problem we have when we keep on thinking about what is God's will for my life is sometimes we we want to know what 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 the right thing to do is so we'll have exactly the best life possible. But actually, there's it's more of a sphere of a wisdom when it comes to God's will rather than than right and wrong. God gives us the tools to make good decisions, gives us the framework to make good decisions, but none of it guarantees that we do exactly the best thing for our life here and now. Mm. So I guess in that sense, yeah, we, we, we're trying to make our decisions, I guess, in light of God's plan right. for, for, the, for yeah. the creation, for the, for the redemption of the world. Yeah. Um, so maybe some practical things if, you, if you're trying to work that through. Um, I guess one easy question to ask is, um, is there a clear right and wrong here? If, right. if, if one of the options that you're deciding between is going to be sinful and unhelpful, as opposed to the other one, which is going to help you to be godly and righteous, then there's a clear choice there. Being an assassin or a terrorist is probably off the list. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, there's certain certain uh, career paths we're not going to take. That's right. Uh, but then perhaps if you've got two that are, you know, neither of which are being a terrorist, um, you, you still might weigh one up. Is there one that's going to help me 
um, you know, further the cause of the gospel somehow, perhaps more so than the other one. Maybe there's a, and that's a wisdom, that's the word. It's a wisdom thing. Am, am I going to be productive and contribute to society? How is this going to impact my use of time? How is this going to impact my ability to go to church? Is this good for my family? Is this good for my own uh, mental health and physical health? I mean, there are all these questions that we can ask, you know. Uh, and in a way, we want to make decisions ultimately that allow us to be the people that Jesus saved us to be, you know, mm. in terms of our service, in terms of our love, yep. in terms of our relationships. And so I guess in that regard, one thing that can, one thing that can be really helpful is having a, a trusted Christian friend or two or three who you can sort of put these things to and say to them, look, tell me honestly, um, what do you, how do you think I'm thinking about this? Because I think for me, I can justify almost anything that's right. Um, even if I've got a selfish desire to go one way, um, I, I can frame it. Oh, but it's really good for this part of the, the, you know, the gospel or something like that. Sometimes I need. I've got a couple of Christian mates, and they just say to me, "Mate, you, you, no, <laughs> this, that's you, you're trying to justify something that's that's actually not that helpful because we know you and we know what you really like." That can be absolutely. And I guess it just keeps on telling us that being being in community, being in church, being a growth group is so helpful for us that we don't make the decision in isolation where we're captive to our own. Yeah. Self-justification and sinfulness. But actually, you know, we have a, sound, a good sounding board. So it's really important at, at that point to keep on reflecting off people, but also to, to be in God's word and be active mm. in prayer and, and having Holy Spirit keep on working in your heart so yes. that you see things God's way mm. yes. rather than your own way or the world's way or what from social media or from your parents' expectations. But that, that that's really helpful as well. So it's about framework, isn't it? It's about seeing things clearly, seeing things from God's perspectives rather yeah. than our own selfish perspectives. Yeah. That's cool. really helpful. Cool. All right. Um, Sam, you covered uh, 10 incredible truths about Jesus. I did. Your, it was my, my BuzzFeed talk of, right. uh, of, of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sunday night. It was, it was great. Um, the question here is, which of those 10 statements um, would the Colossians have struggled or, or disagreed with? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I had 10 truths, and uh, I, I, I think the question might be leaning towards some of the stuff we've been talking about in Colossians in that Paul seems very um, keen to sort of stave off any sense of um, wandering away from Jesus in the, in the whole letter to the Colossians. Um, he, he wants to kind of reinforce Jesus is the solid ground. Uh, Jesus is where you want to put down your roots and you, you want to start with Jesus and run with Jesus and not move away from Jesus. Um, and I guess part of it comes down to um, whether or not there is a, a particular issue in Colossae. Sometimes it's referred to as the Colossian heresy, Gary. Um, mm. And whether or not he's got something specific in mind uh, that he's writing about a particular issue. You got any thoughts on that, Gary? I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's a, co- a, common, a common thought that, you know, Paul is addressing a specific issue. And the fact that he is addressing a specific issue, an issue, you can see that in chapter 2, verse 4, and chapter 2, verse 8, there are mm. other people around who are saying things, basically saying that Jesus isn't enough. Mm. Um, so, and, but Jesus can be not enough in all sorts of different ways. And I think, if you, as we get to the back half of Colossians, I don't think it's one heresy, but there are other things mm. that could take your eyes off Jesus being the solid ground. I think that's right. And there, there, there seems to be, as you, as you tra- chase those verses down, chapter 2, verse 4 is helpful, chapter 2, verse 8, and then 9 is helpful. Um, it seems to do with fullness, um, which is a little kind of concept in Colossians about... Um, having kind of everything, um, we saw it in this week's passage that the the, uh, the fullness of God is is in Christ in chapter one verse nineteen. Um, all God's fullness is in Him. Um, there's this sort of no lack with Jesus, and I, I think what Paul is doing here is he's building up this 
incredible picture of the, the total supremacy of Jesus in everything from creation through to redemption, all of it. Jesus is kind of top dog and uh, he lacks nothing. Um, and the, the Colossians seem to be potentially under threat. I don't think they, they seem to, I think, do, be doing quite well because in 2 verse 5 he says, I delight to see how firm you are and how orderly you're doing. But there is always a threat. And I guess it's not just for the Colossians, it's for us too that we would wander away to anything other than Jesus. And I think that that's what you can say here is that, and in one level, then all 10 things we said about Jesus on the weekend. Um, are, are risks that we yeah, that we would uh, because they all put a kind of a challenge to us where we say that, where we say that anything other than uh, Jesus is is the best and Jesus is the best on every front. That's right. That's right. So I mean, you know that that idea of being Jesus being supreme, it's kind of it's a real challenge to our own self of sense of worth and autonomy and self-determination when you hear that everything belongs to Jesus, everything was made for Jesus, you know, Jesus sustained all things, above all things. Mm. Uh, it's wonderful. Yes. Yet threatening at the same time, you know, yes. because Jesus is so huge and we're not Jesus. That's right. So it's, 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 it's threatening to an autonomous worldview, which yeah. each of us has because yeah. of our sinful nature. Yeah. But it's also wonderful because it takes us back to what is true, um, but also the best thing because it's much better that Jesus is, is in first place rather than you or I being in first place. That's absolutely. And, and it gives us great confidence that, you know, if Jesus has died for us to save us, that he's actually able to do it, given mm. who he is. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Very helpful. Awesome. Um, next question is, uh, what does Jesus say about hell in Colossians? That's a good question. Uh so we talked a little bit about hell on the weekend, um, and in particular, I made the point um, that you, you really have two two options: either Jesus pays for your sins on the cross, or you pay for your sins in hell. Um, and from that, from Colossians chapter one, you can infer it from what. Um, the, the fact that we, we need saving implies that there is a threat uh, that we need saving from. And then it's pulled out a few places in, in Colossians. So in uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 6, uh, Paul's just talked about a whole bunch of evil practices. And he says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And chapter 3, verse 25, talking to slaves and masters, he says, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. Um, so there, there seems to be a sense of what we call retributive justice yeah. going through Colossians. And there is this kind of like, back in chapter 1, verse 13, there is this place that we are rescued from, which is called the dominion of darkness. Uh, and that's in contrast to the kingdom of the son he loves. There seems to be mm. a place of, of love, of affirmation, and then the opposite of that, mm. uh, which which we are rescued from, which we uh, uh, which you know uh, we enter because of our rejection of God, because we are alienated from God, enemies of God. There is this place of darkness. Yeah, which then when you go a bit broader, so I mean um, Colossians has plenty to say on this theme, but actually broader into the um, writings of Paul. Um, you were looking at something earlier. Yeah, that's there. right. I mean, I think it's important to say that Paul does have a, a theology of hell and an understanding of hell, just as Jesus speaks strongly strongly about hell. Um, so in 2, 2 Thessalonians, for example, um, chapter 1, um, verse 9, Paul, Paul talking about those who refuse to repent, he says, um, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Um, so, yeah, it's, in, it's important to know that 
Paul does have an understanding of hell, but it, it, it is it has an etern, eternality about it, mm. um, in the sense that, in the same way that Jesus says there will be, um, yeah, an eternal kind of aspect of it. Absolutely, and that takes us back to that sort of. Um, it's, it's either one or the other. It's either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of the sun that he loves. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no in-between ground. And so, and I guess probably the biggest thing Jesus says about hell in Colossians is don't go there. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, put your trust in Jesus. Uh, you can be saved. He has done everything to reconcile all things so long as you remain steadfast and firm in your faith. Uh, the big teaching on hell is trust Jesus and don't go there. Yeah. Don't go there because you don't have to. That's right. Mm. There is grace available for you yeah. because God loves you. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, last question. Um, what, what would you say to someone who, um, you know, after hearing um, Paul on, on put, putting your trust in Jesus and, and finding, your, finding your hope in him, someone who's still struggling with anxiety um, and worrying about things in their life. They're having a tough time in their life and they mm. can't seem to let go of this anxiety. They think they, um, they should just be able to give it to God mm. um, and be done with it. What would you say to someone who's struggling with anxiety? It's a really helpful um, point, and probably a, a, quite a sensitive point as well. And I, I, I addressed this briefly on, on Sunday, um, just around the idea of Jesus being the, the one who not just created all things but sustains all things. And, and I was trying to draw up the fact that, that there, is, um, there is a genuine comfort in that truth, um, that God is in control. Jesus is actually actively in control and sustains everything. Um, and there is something true there um, which we can cling on to in our anxieties. Um, now, uh, I appreciate that that's um, sometimes easier said than done. And uh, particularly if you've got a kind of clinical type of anxiety. Now, Gary, you're the, you're the qualified doctor in our midst, um, perhaps more um, able to speak on the medical side of things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what, what would you say to someone in that space? I think what I want to say is it's good to see your doctor. It's good to get help. And sometimes I think we can feel unnecessarily guilty about how we feel or think. We think that if I'm a Christian, I should be able to hand us over to God and just feel better and be able to deal with my anxiety. Mm. But sometimes there's an issue of chemicals and your brain and things not working the way they should be. And, and getting help mm. uh, can often be the first step to actually making progress in that area. Yeah, and I guess in the same way that someone struggling with depression might feel like, hang on, the Bible's telling me to be joyful in the Lord and I just can't be joyful. Well, again, part, part of the issue might be that you need, you need some um, medical help there. That's right. And... Um, uh, your 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 faith in God and your trust in the promises of the gospel will help you in that, but they they may not, from a clinical point of view, be able to um, do everything in That's terms right. of r- restoring you to full health at that point. I guess it's similar with anxiety. Similar. And I, the thing I want to uh, I say to people with depression and anxiety is actually God knows your heart. Mm. Uh, God knows you're sick, and we get so worried that what happens if I think this or that? What will God think of me? God, uh, God's bigger than that. He knows. Mm. Mm. He can see beyond your illness. So. He knows you better than you know yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, I, I would say reach out and, and, and ask for some help, whether that's through um, your doctor, but even talking to Christian friends and uh, telling them, look, this is something that I struggle with. This is something that's going on for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, seek as much help as you can. And don't forget to pray. Yeah. Pray, pray for insight. Pray for your heart. Pray for healing. Mm. And, um, you know, God, 
God listens to the prayers of his people. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. This has been really helpful, guys. Um, do you want to paint us a picture of where we're heading next in Colossians? Yeah. Uh, so this week, uh, pushing forward, we're in Colossians 1, um, 24 through to 2, verse 5. And uh, I guess uh, Paul, got, Paul turns now to think a little bit about um, the nature of his ministry as an apostle and... Um, at one at face value Paul's ministry looks mad yeah absolutely uh, he's in prison he is suffering uh, and when he's not in prison and suffering he's outside of prison and suffering and working hard the Gentiles hate him the Jews hate him absolutely <laughs> and yet he begins in verse 24 with the words now I rejoice and uh, how is it that Christians and Paul in particular but, but Christians more generally can have a deep sense of joy in hard situations and I think the answer is because um, when you see what God is doing in Christ, it gives you a new purpose and a new um, goal, a new mission statement, if you like, which for Paul is to um, present everyone mature in Christ. He, he sees the richness of, what, of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and he, he sees just how, how much treasure is in Christ, and he wants to get people there, and that is even bigger than, than um, in his, looms bigger in his mind than his own sufferings. Mm. Yeah, Sam's talk and my talk will be a little bit different this week because I've got the uh, civic opening at 9.15 at morning church. And, you know, what do you, what do you say from Colossians 2, outsiders and dignitaries and alike? And what I'm going to talk about is what we're on about as a church. Uh, funny, we're called St Paul's. We're looking at St Paul. What St Paul is on about is what St Paul's is on about, <laughs> which is about, you know, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and presenting everyone mature in Christ. Yeah, mm. nice, nice. When yes. you want to dig a bit deeper, listen to Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, good one. Good. All right. Well, yeah, we'll be praying for you, Gary. Um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to, to speak some, to some of our local community on, on Sunday morning and mm. open week kicking off. Uh, oh, it's so exciting. On the weekend, Food mm. Fair Saturday, Church yeah. Sunday, all sorts of stuff coming through uh, the week. So check out the website. Make sure you're um, coming along to stuff, bringing your friends to stuff. Um, yeah, but we'll see you at church on Sunday. See ya. See you then. Okay.